for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. This is World Stage, exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, I want to talk about a recent substack by C.J. Hopkins, cjhopkins.substack.com, posted January 24th, called The Verdict. I'm just going to read a little bit about this for about a minute. So my show trial for thought crimes in criminal court in New Normal, Germany, went pretty well. I was acquitted. Technically, it isn't all over because the prosecutor has a week to appeal the decision, but given the circumstances, I doubt he will. He made a total fool of himself in front of a large audience yesterday. I can't imagine that he will want to do that again. And then, a little further in, CJ says, Here's the statement I read in court. You can probably imagine how the judge and prosecutor fell about it, felt about it. And here it is, January 23rd. My name is CJ Hopkins. I am an American playwright, author, and political satirist. My plays have been produced and received and have received critical acclaim internationally. My political satire and commentary is read by hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. His case is crucial. He was prosecuted for supposedly pro-Nazi propaganda because he relentlessly mocks and informs the, uh, people about the encroaching totalitarianism, not only in Germany, but in America and in the West. He's a vital voice, and his case is uh, cautionary because coming after him, like coming after Julian Assange, is a threat to all of us. So discover him and read all about this case and everything else that he posts, because I find him brilliant. cjhopkins.substack.com. With me this hour is Dr. Juliet Engel, an American physician and acknowledged MK Ultra survivor who spent 20 years in Russia building the Angel Coalition, an underground network that rescued thousands of trafficking victims. Juliet has written three books, Sparky, Surviving Sex Magic, and Angels Over Moscow. Both of those are memoirs. And her third new book out now is a thriller about crime and sex trafficking in Russia called Moscow Traffic. All three are available at trineday.com, for whom I do the marketing, and also at The Usual Sellers. Thank you very much for joining me today, Juliet. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm very good. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's it's, it's my honor. And what you endured, what you discovered about yourself alone is a breathtaking and important story for what it says about what goes on in this world far more than anyone could imagine, yet alone tolerate. And then the work that you did in Russia is heroic from beginning to end. So where where did it all begin for you, Juliet? How shall we set the stage? Because I really want you to uh, unpack for me your, your whole journey. And so then we can discuss to the greatest extent possible your thoughts on what's going on in the world and what people need to know and what we can do about it. Well, it's, it's kind of a disjointed story because 
I would start when I was like 21 years old and a, uh, I was just starting, I had gotten a scholarship to go to medical school entirely on my own. I had no recollection of my childhood from high school, um, anything back there. I had no recollection of anything. So I, I was a new person in, uh, when I started college, actually, college at the age of, of 17 and then went on to medical school. Um, it wasn't until later with a lot of unpacking, a lot of investigating, a lot of help from people like Kathy O'Brien, the work that she did, um, the the church hearings, other affirmations that, that what I was thought had happened to me actually did. It became clear that I had been um, sold into the MK Ultra program by my parents. And um, after years of working on on recovering um, memories, I, I began to reconstruct the story of, of my life. And because of the work that I did later, and in fact, of my position of being a physician and having access to all kinds of, of information, I was able to put, put together the memories that I had uh, that, that seems so crazy. It's like it couldn't have happened to me, but it did. And um, so then going back to the actual beginning, I would say be about five when I was five years old, and I was sold by my father uh, into the MK Ultra program. And at that time, I was sexually assaulted, brutalized, um, essentially abandoned by my parents. And although I lived at home half of the time, the other half of the time I spent in what they called annexes. These are the sites where they did the MK Ultra programming and training in satanic ritual abuse. And um, I realized in retrospect, after reading the reports from the church hearings, that I'd been put into a program called Sex Magic. And um, really has very little to do with with sex and everything to do with creating spies and creating control and people that can control other people through what is considered magic. And um, it, recalling all of that was extremely painful, difficult process. And I've written it in the book Sparky. And in Sparky, I put it in I keep it into my own perspective because I'm telling my own story and it's got a lot of defects and it's and it's reflected from my childhood memories, which children are magical thinkers. So there's a lot of magic, childhood magic. Um, whenever I was being really brutally mistreated or sexually abused, I was an expert in disassociating. And, and that's actually what they try to do to people in the programs. They teach you to disassociate so you can actually split and become different people. So you could actually, and, and I struggle with this all the time, you, you could be one person and actually forget who the other person is, you know, so the memories of this person, which is also you, are gone. So um, that's, that's, I tried to capture that in the book, and I think I did. And um, I can't tell you the roots, the history of MK Ultra. I can't tell you. Nobody sat me down and said, hey, little girl, this is what we're going to do. But I went through it. I went through the, the presentation of the pin, which they told me I was a bluebird, that I was going to be a, a special girl in, in the bluebirds. And they gave me a pin, and it was a butterfly. And so I said, no, this, this is a butterfly. I'm a bluebird. And they go, no, 
it's a bluebird, but you, you can never tell anyone anything about this. And if anyone ever sees it, we'll take it away from you and you'll never see your, your family again. So it's the beginning. It's it's how they began the, the deception. Every Nothing was what it seemed to be. Everything was secret. Everything was hidden and everything came with a threat. And um, I didn't trust my parents at all, which was uh, an appropriate response. And um, made my way through grade school, clinging on to the future, wanting to get big, get strong, get free. And then my constant promise to myself all through that was that I would fix this. I would I would go back. I, I saw a lot of children murdered, and that was part of the satanic ritual abuse. And for some reason, um, which always made me feel extremely guilty. I wasn't. I was abused, but I was not killed. I wasn't sacrificed. I wasn't cut up. But I saw this happen. And uh, I tried to hold on to all those children. I tried to, to keep them alive. And uh, it's really not until like the last few years that I realized that I couldn't do that. So it even though I, I, at the age of 17, I escaped from the MKUltra program, left it behind with all the memories associated with it, and escaped and enrolled myself at the University of Washington and put myself through college and then medical school. Uh, everything I did was, was subconsciously to go back and rescue those kids. And, and I realized, uh, do you want me to stop there? <laughs> Should I keep going? <laughs> What what do you feel? Well, 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 yes, and I'm captivated, and it's a very, very important story. You could, could certainly continue your train of thought if you would like me to interact with questions and conversation. Tell me. Oh, I can keep going. I just didn't. I sometimes well, get going, then, but well, you. Let me clarify some of the things that you have shared up to this point before going further uh, forward in in the history of the chronology of of your story i guess just briefly how did how did you escape and did they ever try to find you harass you or pull you back in i i escaped during a a um i was at uh murphy hot springs which is now a fancy resort called esalen in monterey and at that time it was uh like a primitive hot springs it was a barn and um and a hot springs but no no electricity um and it was surrounded by barbed wire fencing and it's a place where the record execs this was all cia it must have been cia controlled the record execs were flown into this compound the musicians were brought in um the singers that that they were promoting were brought in to perform and they had lots of us kids there who were like the party favors so we were there in skimpy clothes or no clothes, and um, we were singing, dancing, and we were just just to be used. Interestingly, the drummer in the band the day that I escaped was Charles Manson. <laughs> he he was whether he was a victim there, I suspect so, uh, but he was often there. He was sort of this boring AV guy. He was moving equipment around and and. Um, I never interacted with him, but he was he would he would do the drumming or fill in guitar, 
So anyway, he was drumming there and, and um, my handler, uh, who, who liked to go into uh, Monterey and sell blotters of LSD, you know, he'd put it on, put blots of ink, uh, like drop dots onto, onto uh, filter paper and then sell them for $5 a piece. And so he was around Monterey selling, selling these things. And he came back into the compound. He was high. He, um, so the gate was open. His car was there. And uh, he was passed out in the front seat. And I pushed him over. Couldn't get him out of the car. It was too big. But I took the car, got out through the gate, and drove north um, all the way across the Golden Gate Bridge and up to uh, up into Oregon. You know, I, I was that that was my escape. That was the freedom. But he was with me. And and um, eventually I got to Grants Pass, Oregon. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have shoes, didn't have a purse, didn't have my driver's license, um, barely had any clothes. And uh, I looked in the, the glove box and it was absolutely full of green stamps. So I started do you, do you are you old enough to remember green stamps? You got them yes. when you bought things, so you you could uh, fill books with them and then get all kinds of great stuff. And there was also a big roll of uh, five dollar bills because he'd been selling drugs. So I got this huge roll of bills and found out that the whole car was full of green stamps, probably years worth. So I bought some clothes, bought a ticket, went to Seattle and. Uh, I'd already arranged to start at the University of Washington, even though I hadn't graduated from high school. I had te teachers were helping me. People helped me along the way. Um, I, I probably couldn't have gotten out if I hadn't had assistance along the way. But I matriculated myself. I bought myself a set of clothes. I checked into a dormitory and became a different person. So and at that I time, and at that time is when, from what you said at the start here. That's when you really consciously first woke up and your life kind of began in college as you experienced it, right? Yes, yes. I wasn't the the victim. I was gonna be the the savior. I was I was on a different track. When you no got longer... to college, did you remember the compound and the party that you had escaped from? Nope. I you didn't a... remember. Right. So there's a, you have a memory of a moment, which is your very, very first conscious moment when you were 17. Yes, it took with work. I got to the rest of it, but I, yeah, that was yeah. when my life began. And it was like I, I didn't. I learned that there was a danger in even thinking about, you know, the other life. Right. I right. knew I'd split because I had no memory. I, you know, I didn't come from nowhere, but it felt like I did. And uh, right, nobody right. cared in college. Nobody asks you, "Oh, where'd you go we're, to grade school?" You know, <laughs> right? And you and you were already, you know, could conversationally zig and zag. You were consciously aware that I've got to go forward. I've got this goal of getting an education. At that time, did you? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. Let me reintroduce you. With me is Dr. Juliet Engel, author of three books. Sparky, Surviving Sex Magic, Angels Over America, both awesome. memoirs. Excuse me. <laughs> Good catch. 
And those are both memoirs. And her new book, a, a thriller about crime and sex trafficking in Russia called Moscow Traffic. And now here is important information from today's news talk, TNT. TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera, while Dahoud, who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid. And we would say that this is probably in terms of conflicts. Uh, this many journalists have been lost, uh, killed, injured, in the whole of the Second World War, and that lasted uh, a number of years. And only in the last three months are we scraping a hundred on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list, which is coming fast and furious out of Gaza. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. You are about to have to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. This is World Stage, and with me is Dr. Juliet Engel. And Juliet, you just summarized briefly and succinctly uh, your childhood, which is no, you know, you're used to hearing people reflect back to you how horrific it was, and yet we could explore for for a long time what that implies and all your thoughts about how well let let's do that for a few minutes now that you have recovered those memories and for so many years have excelled as a professional as a doctor and as a, as a humanitarian and activist in Russia which we're going to talk about what what would you tell me how would you describe here in America the ubiquitousness of this horrific child abuse of capturing or selling children into mind control programs, and, and then particularly, how is it used to manipulate those in power? I, th I think it's gotten worse and worse and worse, and that's one of the reasons I made the effort to, to remember and to, you know, when I, when I talk about these things, it, I, I don't break down, I can, I can speak about it, but that's after years of processing and 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 I still I talk about the things I've written about, but um I, I feel I have to do that because it is getting worse. And I'm seeing the exact things that that they were programming into me as a child. And uh one of the things they would do fairly often, and uh you you see it on John Podesta's artwork. You see children on wheels. They would put me on a wheel. It was a horizontal wheel and would spin me around. And while they were, while I was spinning, they would be chanting, there is no light, there is no dark, there is no up, there is no down, there is no good, there is no evil, there is no man, there is no woman, there is no adult, there is no child. And and what have they done? They've continued this. So, so um, now we're in the middle of the ultimate expression of this, which is lawlessness, transgenderism, a loss of identity, 
uh, an upside down world where everything is tolerance. There is no good. There is no evil. Um, so it's it's manifesting. I mean, the things I heard when I was five years old are being manifested, and it's it's breaking down our country. And uh, I think uh, it's extremely dangerous to have this going on in the schools. I survived because the teachers would help me. They'd realize something was wrong, and they weren't part of the part of the cabal. I think if if I'd had the cabal at school and the cabal at home, I would have killed myself a long time ago. You know, it's it's it would be there would be no it would be a killing of hope, which is why I think you see so many children so confused and and being pulled into these suicide cults and self destructive behaviors because it's meant to destroy hope. And um, who is behind all this? I wish I wish I really knew. I don't understand because the the overall uh, root of the mind control, besides controlling people and you know getting people to kill other people and developing super soldiers and super spies and all this, yeah, they're doing that. But they're also working to destroy the very essence of humanity. They don't want humanity just dead. They want human consciousness obliterated. And the color of the death of human consciousness is green. So when you're spinning and spinning and spinning, and you get to the point where you surrender your soul, what you see is a flash of green. And and um, so it's it's not a benign thing. This whole green agenda is the destruction and the obliteration of the human soul. So, uh, do you it, do you have all that as well or further explained in Sparky, your book? Pretty much, yes. Um, I Thank haven't you. with Sparky. I I hadn't gotten to the point where I I'd, I'd applied it to the like the green mm -hmm. agenda and the and the. Um, right. I speak about that because I I see that's what's happening, and you have things like CERN. What is CERN? CERN is spinning and spinning and spinning. It's a particle accelerator, theoretically. They're trying to create what they call the God particle. Well, the God particle is a human soul. So they can create human bodies. They can clone people. They can take DNA and, and create beings, but they can't create souls because they're not creators. They're destroyers. And so they're creating, trying to create the God particle. They're trying to create the human soul. So we have to, those of us who have our souls have to fight back. It's a powerful thing, a human soul, and it, it's what they're afraid of the most. And for folks who are hearing this kind of thing or seeing you, someone like you for the very first time, I do want to refer a couple of books over at trynday.com, particularly the work of S.K. Bain, his book, the most dangerous book in the world about how 9-11 was a mass ritual because it's a, it's a, another specific example of what you very well described. What was learned in horrific experiments in the 40s, 50s, 60s, ongoing by intelligence agencies to destroy a psyche and inflict mind control on people behind the scenes? You just well described, and people who see it, see it, and who study it, see it. It's being inflicted worldwide through the culture, as you just described and i want to pivot now if we may to what led to your work in russia and then please tell me as, as fully as you can 
what you discovered there, what you started doing, and then for many, many years, what you did there, and ultimately how you have compiled it in a novelized version of your latest book, Moscow Traffic. Well, I do want to say before we go back to the beginning of Russia, is that um, during I, I was in Russia during the breakdown of the Soviet Union, which is when everything changed and, and the whole uh, root of the Russian oligarchy and the crime mafias and, and all of that grew. And and uh, I recognized immediately that, you know, these were the MKUltra programs of Russia. And and uh, what they would do is, is uh, uh, they the MKUltra programs in the U.S., MK being mind... Mind control. Kampf, they ah. were brought to the... No, no, it's mind kampf. Mind control would be wow. Uh, it, that's not that's not true. German. Uh, I did not know that the MK of MK Ultra was Mein Kampf, quoting obviously Hitler's book My Struggle. I think it translates in English. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Wow. And we knew that. And um, I'm trying to think of the Russian word for struggle. I mean the the German word. It's it's. Uh, Anyway, it's it's not comp. It's not K. It's not control. Control is okay. an English word. Uh -huh. um, the uh, where was I? So when after the Nuremberg trials, the Nazis were divided up between Russia, Great Britain, and the U.S. So you know, thousands of them went to each place, and plenty of them went to Russia. I think it was something like fifteen thousand. And they weren't quite as coddled there. They were imprisoned and, and could work their way out. But they did the same experiments, the same um, programs on the elite of, of the Russian intelligentsia. So they took the, the children when they, they had the various purges. They had the doctor's purge. They had the writer's purge. They, they kept killing their, their intellectuals, but they would take the children. So the children were put into... Um, camps and the camps were uh, there was a shortage of of uh, walled structures where they could put children's prisons. So they used the monasteries. So almost all of the monasteries, which had been emptied out when they were looted and and destroyed by the Bolsheviks, then became the prisons for children. And all of them, all of them, all the great monasteries were defiled like this. And uh, inside those monasteries, uh, these children grew up. These, these should have been the, the brightest, the best, the most talented of Russia, but they became the most corrupt, the most evil, um, the most violent. And because they didn't have any family connections and no religious connections, uh, their only connections were to each other. So these became the mafias uh, that you see operating today. And the oligarchs were chosen from these these uh, institutions, and I'm not going to name them, but but um, so my book Moscow Traffic is really about how how uh, religion, how the monasteries, how the how the uh, infiltration of the of the um, Nazi programs, how it all took over in Russia too, and they have their own class of MK Ultra. Only right now they're the Russian mafia. 
in our country, I believe they're this, the um, senior executive service, that they are this, this class, they've become this pampered class of untouchable uh, executives who really ruin everything they touch. They're paid tremendous amounts of money. They're controlled by someone in the government, but nobody really knows who. Uh, they get million dollar bonuses when they retire. And, and they really, I've, I've had interactions with them operating programs and they are very destructive. And uh, when you look at, at Trump and, and, and you look at the people that work against him in the government, you say, why can't he get rid of them? You know, why can't he just fire these people? He can't because they're senior executive service, even in the FBI and the Department of Justice. Um, and I've heard of just, that just, and I've read about the senior executive service, but I don't recall precisely what it is. Can you tell me? Well, that's that's it's mysterious. But anyone that has a program that receives any kind of government grant or funding has these senior executive people that show up and may not have any expertise in whatever you're trying to do, but uh, they are given priority. They report on you. They're like having commissars. They are commissars. They come into your program. They take over in uh, the case of my program in Russia. They took over and mm. started laundering money to the International Organization of Migration through mm -hmm. our program. I mean, basically destroyed us. And, and, uh, and all Juliet, that goes back. I, finish your thoughts, sorry. All that goes, you see them in the FBI, the FBI cabal yeah. that were working against Trump with their program. They're all senior executive service. You can find them in something called the Plum Book. It's P-L-U-M-B-O-O-K. Uh, it was published up until a few years ago by the State Department, I think. And, and you could get this and look up, um, this, this is how I found out that who, who these various people were, that they were part of the senior executive service. Then I looked into it and, and it's very hard to, to understand who these people are. You get them if you want them or not. Hmm. So that we Would have you, senior executive what? service, Russia has the Russian mafia. It's, they work the same way and, um, and they, and they were groomed through mind control atrocities by similar factions in each country and what to to tell the most kind of succinct not succinct but followable narrative i feel like asking you to to describe with the reality of how you got to russia what you were doing there what you discovered and then tell me how you now portray it in moscow traffic does that make sense Sure. And it's it's uh, it's a lot of material to cover in in uh, a pretty short amount of time. So you'll have to read the books. Um, I was uh, practicing. Let's see, I, I finished medical school and started practicing in about 1980. Um, I, I graduated in radiology and radiation physics, and radiation biology, and uh, had my own practice in Bellevue, Washington, which was an exciting time because that's when Microsoft was starting there, Adobe was starting there, Starbucks opened there. Um, everybody was doing something nefarious. <laughs> it seemed kind of fun and innocent back then. Um, so I was I was part of that mix and um, I I really be. I began to start to remember my own childhood when my daughter was born and I had this little person that looked just like me. 
and uh, I started having flashbacks that were so awful. I thought I was going mad. And so that's when I began the process of going to a psychiatrist and starting to filter back. And he got suspicious when he said, oh, tell me about your mother. And I, was like, I have no recollection of my mother, <laughs> nothing. So we began the slow process. I still can't really remember her, but um, so I was going through that. And but at the same time, I was because I have this apparently have this identity ability to split identities. I had my doctor identity, and that was very successful. And um, I was invited by uh, this at the time that the the Berlin Wall went down in 89, and Russia began to open in 1990. And in January of 1990, they invited a group of, of uh, people like myself, professional people, uh, academics, artists, um, a whole a whole scope writers uh actors I mean, it was an amazing group to be traveling with but they invited us all to come to moscow and to uh begin to interact on a citizen level with russians and the russians had never seen americans before we'd never been to russia didn't didn't uh, had never seen russians before and um i was planning on going for a few days and then coming back and continuing my life but I went there, I had the strangest series of, of uh, flashbacks, which I realized later was part of the programming. I'd been programmed to go to Russia. I don't know if it actually related to my going to Russia, but the visions were in my mind. And uh, they took me to uh, maternity hospitals. I was the first American doctor into their birthing centers. And um, they were so horrific. It was so bad they both the abuse of the women having having children and the abuse of babies such a high death rate and preventable you know preventable in, in every way defects and i won't go into all that but it's in it's in the books it's in uh, both sparky and angels over moscow because i i couldn't walk away from that it was like i was having flashbacks to you know child sacrifice and and um, that that terrible abuse of, of children. And then I found out that uh, a lot of the children were, a third of the babies were given away at birth. And um, women were encouraged to give up their children, and they would because the, the people were so pro poor, they were convinced that the children would be better off growing up in institutions where they'd be fed and safe. And, but it wasn't true at all. The institutions are terrible. And um, that's when I got on the trail. And this this took place over years. I helped them start a birthing center. I started working on exchanges of um, university doctors and nurses coming to Russia and vice versa. Um, I did a, I, I worked with uh, Olga Badinskaya, who was a famous film director who, who wanted to, did an expose on the Russian birth houses. And it was the first time that Russian men had any idea of the horrors that were going on in the birth houses, because um, traditionally they, it, Russian men will still tell you this, if they talk about childbirth, they'll become impotent. So, um, <laughs> so there were, there were all kinds of prohibitions against them knowing, but we did a, we did a, a 
a television expose that was seen by absolutely everybody over and over and over. And Juliet, it, blew the whole, it, it blew their minds. Well, it, it made it. They when they started to push for change, then we yeah. got change. And I, I, I just want to tell you that uh, on the other side of this little break, we're going to take Juliet. I really look forward to asking you about what turned out to be an enormous. Uh, work that you did and service that you did over there in terms of the thousands of young people that you saved from trafficking. With me is Dr. Juliet Engel. And here now is important information from today's news talk, TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week when Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about the position of Joe Biden when it comes to late-term abortions, she had the phony rhetoric ready to go. What I will say is majority of Americans, majority of Americans wants to see their rights protected, wants to see women have their rights protected, wants to be able to, wants, want women to be able to make those deeply, deeply personal decisions on their bodies, on their own, not politicians. That's what majority of Americans want to see. And so the president's going to stand with majority of Americans on this issue. Do those unborn babies have any rights then? I'm not going to get into that specific. I'm not going to get into that question. Rights for unborn babies? What are you, mad? <laughs> but let's take a look at how Americans really feel about the issue of abortion. This is from Gallup, May of last year. Only 34% of Americans believe abortion should be legal under all circumstances. 34%. A majority, 64%, say limited circumstances or not at all. And in the same poll, only 22% of Americans believe third trimester abortion should be legal at all. It just shows that Corinne Jean-Pierre and her leftist buddies are a bunch of liars. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. One scorching heat wave will leave me powerless to cool my insulin. When the storm rolls in, my time to find a pet-friendly evacuation center will have run out. <laughs> I'm relying on luck, but who knows if it'll be on my side. When it comes to disasters and emergencies, it's not a matter of if, but when. Take control. One, assess your needs. Two, make a plan. Three, engage your support network. Let's prepare so we all have a better story to tell. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have, a permission, will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London, lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT. And I also want to say that if you've missed your favorite TNT show or interview, simply listen or watch it when you want, wherever you want. Just visit episodes on the TNT Radio website, rumble.com or bitchute or brighteon.com. We're also on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. Now there is no reason to miss out on anything on today's News Talk TNT.
Dr. Juliet Engel, you we uh, you're telling me about what you discovered in terms of again here it is horrific uh, treatment of mothers, pregnant women, and children in Russia. How did that develop as you stayed there for years to help and serve in this area that obviously drew you, compelled you, and Take me all the way through to its to its full blown f fruition over there. The enormity of your impact—it's really breathtaking. And and don't rush through it. And then, um, hopefully, we'll have time before the end to, for you to tell me how uh, how you, you're doing the same thing here in America. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to cram thirty years of work into a small segment, but um, over the course of of the years that I was helping uh, reform maternal and infant health care in Russia, um, I I followed the fates of uh, children that were sent to institutions like the baby houses and the toddler houses and and uh, were then um, then disappeared. And uh, I personally followed a group of teenage girls that I knew, and uh, I came up there one winter with winter coats, and uh, they were gone. And I found out that they had gotten on a bus and been taken to Finland for a excursion, and that this happened every year. The buses would come around, pick up children, and take them uh, to the Scandinavian countries. And the kids thought this was great, so the, the kids were eager to go. And uh, uh, I followed the bus. I followed the, the road that they'd taken. I took a bus from Murmansk in Russia to Kirkenes in Norway. Uh, it's about a four-hour bus ride. And um, discovered that the children were between um, the time they left Russia and the time they were found dead in Norway, um, that they were uh, people men use the buses as, as mobile brothels. They would get on the bus, abuse the children, get off the bus, and the bus would go on to the next site. And um, by the time they got to Norway, if uh, when I met with the police in Kirkenes, they showed me a drawer full of photographs of dead children. And it was one of the most horrifying things I'd ever seen. He said, well, here, take a look, see if you can find your kids in here. And I couldn't, I was just so shaken. And it, it just, it just, it's like I wanted to throw up, give up, put my head in a hole, go away, never look at this again. But then it was like something in my mind, like I, it was a promise I'd made like three decades before that I was gonna stop this, that, that children, should not be treated this way. This was wrong. This is sinful. This is terrible. And and I'd made a promise to stop it, although I couldn't remember my own circumstances. And I didn't realize that I'd been <clears throat> a victim as well uh, many, many years ago. But it just, it just, I couldn't let go of this. So um, I got a can you, grant. Can you, at, at the, yeah, at the, at the pace we're going, I wonder if in the next, you know, 12 minutes or so that we have um if you would be able to to reach a, a description of the angel coalition there in its full bloom you know maybe you know looking back on it 
give me the major statistics, if you would, you know, how many yes, people around Russia were involved in the effort, how many young people were saved, and the and the the net takeaway after all your work there, if you would, please. Sure. Uh, the first thing I did was to get a grant and to arrange for a, um, there's many, many steps between, but to do a nationwide survey of uh, what Russian people were seeing, you know, because you you couldn't get this from the official sources and the mafias were doing this. So everything was repressed very much like it is here right now. And um, so we needed to get or I wanted to get the information as to how, how big is this problem? Where are people being trafficked? What do people think about it? And so uh, the long and the short is it took two years to organize a nationwide survey of, of the former Soviet Union. And we found the extent of human trafficking was much larger than anybody had imagined. We also discovered um, in the course of it that the three main countries that were that were receiving trafficking victims from Russia were Germany, Israel, and the United States. So um, that that didn't make me popular in Washington, D.C., and nobody wanted to hear it. But um, we went ahead anyway, and with a lot of support in Russia, created a network called the Angel Coalition. Uh, and and uh, what the Angel Coalition was, was a group of tiny little organizations, lots of times two people, uh, might not even have a telephone, had to use the library. You know, the country was so poor at that time. And um, working together and working with people that we trusted in the police. So you want to find the, there's always someone, there's always good people. You know, you can always find a good sheriff. You can always find a good policeman. You know, they're in there. Uh, they're not at the front door. You know, it's not who you walk in and it's not who greets you. You have to find them. But we did. We built these relationships in uh eventually 140 different countries and uh, had a very successful system for recognizing, rescuing, and returning uh, uh, traffic, mostly girls and children, but but also boys and uh, labor, people have been trafficked for labor. And over the 10 years that we were the most active, before I left in 2010, we'd rescued 70,000 people. And we did that by um, a system, a multiplier system, which um, was very effective, and we can we can do the same thing here. So, what I'm working on now with an organization called Our Country, Our Choice (OCOC), which is headed by Colonel Douglas McGregor, it's brand new, but we're going to be doing a a survey here so that we can get a ground level, non governmental view of uh, human trafficking in the United States. That does not exist. There, There is not that information. You can get Department of Justice information, but that's not the same thing. And what we need to do is get what people, get get information about what people think is happening because very often that's more, the most accurate. So- Well, you're modeling what, what worked in Russia. Yes, yes, with with much better technology, but also a higher degree of interference. You know, I think mm. in Russia, they were ignoring us pretty much. Um, here, we're under the microscope. Everything I do is is under a microscope. So um, it Does has OC, to be done. OC? It has to be done. Does it have a website or someplace the public can plug in, learn, and help? 
Yes, they can uh, go to Our Country, Our Choice. It's got a website. It's got a volunteer page. Um, you can that's sign the, on. That's, into the, the, that's the URL. That's .com, OurCountryOurChoice.com. OurCountryOurChoice.com, yes. Thank you. Okay. When did it launch? Oh, just a couple months ago. It's just uh, they got a much bigger response than they counted on. Um, when Colonel McGregor put the call out, <laughs> they expected to like get 10,000 signups. They got over a million. So it's it's um, uh, it's something that needs to be done in this country. Grassroots, uh, grassroots coordinated efforts to save children from that nonsense that that uh, Jean-Pierre was saying about, oh, Americans want full-term abortions. No, they don't. You know, it's ridiculous. Uh, but that's that's what real people are up against and uh so that's that's yeah. where i am we're going to we're going to organize the survey i hope everybody that's listening will participate and you don't have to know specifically about cases in your area you i want to know what people think is happening that's the first step Opin yes mm -hmm. opinions opinions we found and in russia that was the greatest source of information because they're usually right all right, then once you've got an accumulation or trends uh, in a collection of opinions, what's the next step of analyzing that or, or using that information to drill down and actually find people that can be helped? Well, the, there's a lot of veterans organizations that, that want to do rescues, and but you need, you need to know who you're dealing with. You need to know... Uh, I, I think once we get this information, we'll have a sense of what networks and what I mean by that is which trafficking networks. These are very established groups with their own territories and their own um, codes of of uh, conduct. I mean, they they've been operating a very, very long time and they're they're. Uh, so what we need to know who they are, where they are. And and uh, we also need to know. We also need to map out where the um, resources are because when children are rescued, they need services, they need shelters, they need uh, support. You can't just turn them loose on the street again. Um, so, when I was uh, writing my book, God School, Nine Eleven and JFK, a couple of years ago, I was astounded by the number of missing children in america if memory serves it's it's in the it's in the millions what what do you know how much of a percentage of the children you find or expect to find are simply those that are reported as missing or do the networks find uh, them from other or are they not accounted for what's your what's your evaluation of the value of the quote-unquote official numbers of the children who go missing let's just say in the United States well the official numbers are are children that um, have been reported missing uh, they have a police case open um, most children aren't in that category I think uh, it's well documented that 85 thousand children have come over the border in the last three years and disappeared nobody knows where they are so are they being used for um, ritual abuse are they being used for adrenochrome production are they being used uh, for um, sacrifice organ donors you know we don't know uh all that's been reported uh you know 
anecdotally, but mm-hmm. uh, I think we'll find that it's true. I certainly found that it was true. And, and, and a lot of the reasons that Russia invaded Ukraine were because of the fact that these factories associated with the United States were being run in Ukraine. So like Kharkov, um, near Chernobyl, um, in Kiev. So a lot of these, a lot of these uh, um, horrible practices were being carried out uh, in laboratories by Americans in Ukraine. So, so some motivation of Putin or Russia's interference or invasion in Ukraine was to put a stop to that. I think that the motivation was to put a stop to the bio uh, weapons laboratories which were using these children. I think when they got there, then they discovered that this was going on and they have reported mm-hmm. it to the United Nations. So if you look at the Russian ministry, uh, foreign ministry website, it's all on there. So you can find mm-hmm. the, the laboratories, you can find the, the uh, um, pens and the cages where they kept the, the children and where they were selling selling uh, organs and, and uh Again, it's not quantified, and it's not for the United States. So we need to know mm-hmm. what's happening mm-hmm. here, and to get focused yeah. on on our own house, clean our own house up. I want to ask you another question about your latest book, Moscow Traffic, because I've heard you describe it as doing for the Russian organized crime what the Godfather did for organized crime in the United States. Talk to me about that, please. Yeah, I I kept trying to write it as a as a you know like a journalistic style. My agent said, you know, forget that. Write a love story. So it's it's a love story, but all the facts are in it. And and if you if you read through this uh book, you you will understand Russia. You will understand what's happened the last 50 years. You will understand the role that religion is playing in the uh, revival of Russia and uh, its its uh, impact on organized crime. Uh, you'll understand about how the monasteries were destroyed, use, how the monasteries were looted by Americans. Um, it's, you're implying, it's, uh, you're implying the, the beneficial impact of religion, right? Both, both. It goes both ways. So, mm-hmm. um, Beneficial, but there's there's a holdover from from ancient practices that that is moving, that moves forward through through religion. Um, it's 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 such a fascinating uh, milieu to to describe. So, Doctor uh, Juliet Engel, I've got to <laughs> I've got to thank you. Folks can find your books at Amazon and all the usual sellers, and also at trineday.com. Um, are there other places people can follow you online? Uh, I I have a website which is uh, julietengel.com mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's pretty much it I do, do quite a few interviews so and our and country our choice yeah our country our choice yes dot com is to is to help see what can be done to first of all take a survey of the impression of the uh, presence of such trafficking and then join the effort to put an end to it and i uh i applaud you your courage for telling your story dr juliet engel 
And it's, a, it's an honor to get to know you better because we've had past conversations through Trine Day. And this is today's News Talk TNT.